Hello, everybody. This is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. And this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. And hey, folks, I today I want to be talking about, uh, we're going to be switching back to uh, addiction, uh, or to alcoholism, rather, and, and then also just sort of the larger concept of uh, neurobiology and, and really how addiction is about what's going on in the brain. And I want to bring on a very special guest, uh, a man named Dr. Rob Kelly, and he's an interesting individual uh, that was brought to my attention. And I I was uh, asked if we could do this podcast because, you know, Rob just has some, um, uh, just a great approach. I, I really do. I wouldn't say a new approach because I actually have been following and believe in everything that uh, Dr. Kelly has been talking about up to this point, but he's got a real interesting background in that, well, number one, he's from England, as you're going to find out, and he's uh, he's out in Texas, so he doesn't have that Texas twang just yet, but I'm sure he's working on that, but he is a musician, um, as well as being a doctor, very impressive, but, uh, and I'll let, and I won't steal his thunder, but he's played with a lot of, uh, folks that you have heard about and I've heard about and actually just uh, really, really uh, just a phenomenal musical background. He's, he's played with uh, Queen. He's played with David Bowie and others, and I'm sure he'll, he'll talk about some more um, as a bass guitar player. And, um, and that's fantastic because, uh, Dr. Kelly, you may not know this, but you and I have a lot in common. You uh, have guitars and I have guitars. In fact, I'm staring at some guitars that are sitting here. The difference is you actually play them, and I just sit here and look at them. So maybe that's something <laughs> I can do. But with that, Dr. Kelly, thanks for coming on to the show. Of course, Michael. Good to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, well, awesome. for the listeners that don't know who you are, uh, a lot of you, I, I presume, do know who he is. But for those that don't, um, c- can you tell us just a little bit about who you are and how you came to this place? <clears throat> yeah. So my name is Dr. Rob Kelly. They call me the addiction doctor because that's what I specialize in. And one of the reasons I do is because I suffered badly from alcoholism back in the 70s and 80s when very few people knew about alcoholism and in fact the medical fraternity is still quite baffled with the disease and then when I got off the streets because that's where it took me I decided to go back to school I got my second PhD in behavioral science along with my first one which is in psychology and I set around delving into places where nobody had delved so the neuroscience of, of the illness the biochemical change um, and the the allergic uh, to ethanol, not necessary alcohol, that sets me off in a different way. So trials and tests over the last 25 years or so that we've done, <clears throat> still new research as far as the medical fraternity is concerned. But after 7,000 patients and uh, 25, 30 years of doing this, I think we're onto something. Uh, we have a 97% success rate, absolutely unheard of, uh, usually 3 to 4% out there. So, yeah. And uh, moved to Texas some 14 years ago, spent 12 years in Dallas. And over in San Antonio now, I do TV, radio, books, I have my own podcast, uh, five offices, six offices around the world, and keep busy with my practice. So, yeah, great to be here. That's phenomenal. And I, I tell you what, I, I know where I want to focus with you right off, right off the bat. And it's something that I have been thinking about quite extensively, actually, and um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of uh, graduate work right now. And, and the thought is this, and I, you know, as I, I'm in recovery myself as, as you are, 
And now I, I'm trying to think about, you know, what was it that got me successfully into long-term recovery? I mean, obviously, that's the goal that we all have, right? That's the goal that we all have. And yeah. right now in the treatment world, in the, the treatment world, and, and if you're listening to this, and, and, I, and I want you to be very, very, I want to be very careful with what I'm about to say here, okay? Because mm. if you're listening to this podcast right now, there's probably a reason why you're listening to this podcast, mm. whether it's yourself, whether it's somebody that you know, somebody that you love, that you desperately want to get well, right? Here's the bad news. Here's the bad news. That people that go to traditional treatment facilities uh, the long-term sobriety rate is pretty low coming out of those facilities. And I've been studying that, and I'm on and, and this constant quest of trying to find out why that is. But you just said something, Dr. Rob, and that is this. You said that you have a 97% success rate as opposed to what I think you said 3 to 4% in other facilities. Let's talk about why that is and what's the difference and what is sort of that secret magic formula to getting into long-term recovery. Well, first of all, you've got to look at most, uh, and I, I, there's some great treatments out there with uh, very high success rates, probably 10, 15% of treatment centers out there are brilliant, and we work with them, and we're happy with that. Mm-hmm. But there's a bunch of guys out there that concentrate on the alcohol. They're teaching out of 1960s and 70s textbooks. They don't know what the disease is all about. They reckon if you just stop drinking, everything will be okay. Let me tell you categorically, alcohol has about 1% to do with alcoholism mm. and the same with drug addiction, which freaks people out. It's just the symptom. It's not the disease. It's a bit like when I have chicken pots. People go, well, Dr. Rob, I can see you've got chicken pots. How? I can see the spots all over your body. Actually, that's the symptom. I actually have a viral infection that can kill me. It's the same with alcohol. So what's happening in treatment centers is if you're running a treatment center and you're allowing little Johnny to come in for his five, fifth or sixth time in there and you're charging him $30,000 a month, you really need to check what you're teaching in that treatment center. You know, because we're not concentrating on the disease. We're concentrating on the alcohol and we're concentrating on numbers through the door. Now, we're very, very strict who we take on. You as a strict assessment. And if you if you don't uh, pass our assessment, we will not take you on. I turned Britney Spears down for a million dollars when I was in Dallas. It's like she wasn't ready. Two days later, she shaved her head. You know, it's like it. it, it you've got to be in this for the right reason. And... You've got to forget the alcohol. You have to start. Number, number one, the gateway drug. Hmm. It's trauma. Yes, trauma, not marijuana. Trauma. Sounds like marijuana. Trauma is the gateway drug. Unless we, and every alcoholic has trauma. Unless we clear that trauma up, you are not going anywhere and you will relapse. You see, what happens is my basal ganglia, which is a repetition strength and confirms part of my brain, is damaged. And it's going from trauma to depression to drinking to trauma. And it's not, it's going around in a circle and has done for 20, 28 years of my life. And nobody knew how to change that. So by changing the way you think, we'll change the way you drink. Mm. Yeah. And I, I agree with you a hundred percent when it comes to you saying that people need to be ready. And, and really the assessment that you're talking about prior to providing services to a patient is something that is unique, or at least the way that you're doing it. And that is that you have to be ready. And I've, I've had some conversations with people recently because I've, I've had some people say, hey, Mike, can you help me with my loved one? And, and I would talk to the loved one, and I would go back to the family members and say, you know, I'm sorry, but your loved one just isn't ready. They're just not at that point. Because if you don't want to get well, you're not going to get well. And I think, to me, and we'll see what you think, uh, Dr. Rob, 
that's that has to change. You know, what? It, how do we get people to the point to where they want <coughs> want to get well? You know, it's an uphill battle from there. But if you don't want to get well, then you're not even going to start up that hill. Do you agree with no. that? Oh, 100%. You have to be ready. And we have an assessment that guarantees that you're ready. So I can look the parents in the eye or the wife or husband and say, we can guarantee we can take your husband to, you know, this place where he's not drinking, but also has an, has an amazing life because there's a bunch of stuff that come. So, you know, a lot of, unfortunately, with a lot of places, it's a numbers game. That's why we have marketing and salespeople. Let's get as many people through the doors. And if that's your gig, that's fine. You know, it's just that our company doesn't work like that. We work completely different. You know, I've still not seen my youngest daughter 30 years in since she took it. They took him off me at the ages of one. So I have I have a I have a dog in this race. I see my parent. My mom died early of cancer because of me living on the streets. Yeah, I've seen what damage it can do. So when we say we're the real deal and we're excited and we want to work with you and guarantee you get well, we really mean it because all the research we've done, all the testing we've done, you know, says that, hey, if we if we can change neural pathways in the head. Uh, then we can change the way the, the central nervous system acts, which can look at the behavior even a week before a relapse. Mm-hmm. So that's our niche in the market is, hey, we can spot a relapse way before you can, and we'll teach you how to do this. Yeah, because the relapse just starts early. It's not like I'm driving home one day. You know, me 10 years in, it's not like I'm going to be driving home tonight, and all of a sudden my car un- inexplicably just turns right and goes into a liquor store. And before you know it, I have a, a bottle of a vodka in my lap. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you know, my car no. doesn't have a brain. My car doesn't control it. Mm. And I don't uncontrollably go into that store. The The relapse starts early, early, early. And the key is to preventing you know, that thinking. Because as, as you said, it begins with a thought. It begins in the brain. And then it grows. It does. It yeah. does. Could you explain that neurologically for those that don't understand that? So we're born with, alcoholics are born, drug addicts are made. So that's going to annoy a few people straight away, but trust me, this is true. Uh, Alcoholism is a hereditary, it's a biochemical disease passed down from generations to generations. So what happens is self-sabotaging neural pathways are invented. Now, the disease comes in many forms and has to have a few indicators at birth as you grow. It has to have trauma. It has to have that first drink. You know, and what happens in the end, once you're full blown alcoholic, is when we do something wrong in our normal life, let's say, for instance, you had that affair, you stole from work, you know, you padded the expense account. We get the feeling in our stomach, the gut feeling, it's it's real, by the way, goes back to the tribal days, or butterflies or something in our body that goes, hey, Rob, that's wrong. And I know it's wrong. The problem with alcoholism is it speaks to me in my own tone of voice, which tells me, let's have something to eat. Let's buy the wife some flowers. Let's go do some good to people. It speaks to me in that tone. So when alcoholism comes and the hypothalamus says, drink, I have no choice but to drink. And it's recognizing these things. The hypothalamus is kind of a fight or flight part of the brain. What it tells normal people is to drink water and eat food to survive. That's what it tells us. We never have to teach a baby how to eat. It knows when it's hungry, it'll stick its mouth, hand down its mouth, or it'll cry for food. It knows. After we cross that certain point from heavy drinking into alcoholic drinking, um, the hypothalamus tells the alcoholic to drink alcohol. That's why we can go days and weeks without eating food or drinking water. 
So when we look at this aspect as a whole, we understand that when the brain's telling us to do something, we don't have a choice. So if you're the full-blown alcoholic and people are going, Johnny, can you just give up kids of your kids? No, it's impossible, impossible to give up once we started and cross that invisible line. And there lies the problem. Sitting in a class, teaching, being taught about relapse prevention will not cut it. Being told about the illness without any action will not cut it. I had a full knowledge of, of what they were telling me when I was going to treatment centers, but they didn't give me the solution. And the solution is what I've just talked about. Repetition strengthen confirms internal dialogue. If I tell myself I'm a piece of crap, you know, a couple of days later, I'm going to start to believe it. So if I drop a pen on the floor, I'm not a stupid idiot because my subconscious brain, where the disease lies, is snap that sentence up. And when that's passed over to the prefrontal cortex is when you're going for that girl, that job, that house, that car, and all of a sudden pops into the prefrontal cortex is you're an idiot. And we don't, we don't do anything. So what we do is we self-sabotage because we're scared of success and we're scared of failure. That's the disease. You know, alcoholism, just like you said, Michael, will never come to me on a Monday and go, hey, Rob, you want to drink? It's a week before when I'm sat somewhere moaning about the girl in my office with that stupid Christmas pen that I'm on board at Christmas and it's now July. That's the relapse right there. Yeah, because it, it begins with the thinking and it becomes with, uh, you know, we have this saying in, in recovery, you don't, you don't want to be hungry, angry, lonely, tired. So what you're talking about right there is, you know, the angry part and exploring, you know, why why is it that that Christmas pen, what, what is it about that that bothers me? And what, you know, it, then controlling it and letting those things, and it can be small things uh, that can attack you. I, I do a lot of post-critical uh, incident seminars, you know, in the law enforcement world. And at one of the seminars I go to, they have uh, a discussion about how deadly and toxic the law enforcement profession is, you know, over a period of time. Because, you know, I was military too, but, uh, you know, when you go out in the military, you'll do a six-month deployment. And then you come off of that and you have some sort of a rest period, you know, before you do it again. Now, in law enforcement, it doesn't work that way. In law enforcement, you go out and it's trauma all day, every day, every single day for 20, 30 years, however long you're doing that. And so they have a saying at this seminar that I'm at, you can be eaten two ways. You can be eaten by a bear, you know, which would be a big trauma, big T trauma, meaning that the bear just mauls you to death. And we get that. We get that the bear can, you know, that'll kill you. Right. We get it. Mm -hmm. However, if I have a duck, if I have a bunch of ducks that come up to me and they just start pecking away at me and eating me, that can over time, you know, that could kill you as well. But it's going to be very mm -hmm. slow and it's going to be very, very subtle. Those are the small T traumas. And uh, oftentimes, you know, we, we prepare for those big T traumas. We, we get those. But it's it's the, cum the accumulation of those small T traumas or those duck bites <coughs> that, that we don't really pay attention to. But they can be just as deadly, at least in my opinion. What do you What do you think about that? Yeah, we kind of don't do the big T, small T, because mm -hmm. if you're an alcoholic, they're all big T, just like you said. You know, yeah. I teach a, a PTS class, a class. I used to be a police myself back in England. Oh wow, great! Uh, I yeah, did not know so that. I, no, I uh, I teach a PTSD class of uh, veterans and police officers and first responders uh, about PTSD because, you know alcoholics hear different with them with our brain we hear things different than other people let me explain something so this is how ptsd started and starts with everybody let's say me and my brother for instance are stood on the kitchen table and my my mom walks in and she says to both of us will you get down off that table your dad's gonna kill you 
So my brother hops down. I've already had trauma from my mom and dad, so I hear, get out of that table. And I'm in fear, and, I, and, I, and the trauma has started. That's my PTSD. And people, again, well, he's okay, that guy coming back from, you know, wherever, or the policeman, or, no, stop saying that. Every single policeman that I have met, and I have met hundreds of thousands, somehow, somewhere, suffer from PTSD. Mm-hmm. How can you not do that? Everything that we have, every image in our eyes that we look at is stored in the conscious, in the subconscious brain. And it will come out. And if you don't deal with it, it will deal with you. That's right. That's the problem we have. And, and for, most, for most police officers and first responders, it's alcohol because it's legal and it's quick and it takes away the pain for at least an hour. And that's where we look at people abusing alcohol and, of course, drug addiction as well, because now you can work without anybody smelling anything. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we really need to start looking at our serving officers and our pre-officers like yourself or FBI agents, first responders, and go, hey, how are you dealing with life after? Because nobody's doing this. Everyone thinks you're going to be okay. Men don't go to men and go, hey, listen, I actually saw this guy get killed the other day and it's bothering me. Your, your friend will probably slap you and say, come on, step up a lick, let's move on. Yeah. But we need to start looking at this and see what damage it's actually doing because a few years later when that guy dies of a heart attack or, or, or dies of a, whatever it is, we just put it off as a heart attack. No, let's trace it back to the trauma that he's been struggling with every single day that's been damaging his cells and damaging his organs because that's how powerful PTSD and stress is. Mm-hmm. That's what we need to look at and more lives would be saved. Yeah, and, and I agree with you and the problem is that that profession and i'm so heartened to hear that you're a police officer i didn't know that because you you deeply understand what i'm talking about here that when you're military or a police officer you got to understand these are professions where people come to us for help we don't go to them for help they come to us and step one of alcoholics anonymous i'll just throw that out there uh i'm I'm just giving an example here you know step one is i'm powerless over alcohol my life has become unmanageable and when i'm working with first responders or military the unmanageability part they understand because otherwise they wouldn't be talking to me, right? Nobody comes to me and says, you know, hey, Mike, my life is going so well. My life is like a day at Disneyland. I get up and eat Skittles for breakfast and I look out the window and I see rainbows. And and so I thought I'd come talk to you. That's not how yeah. it works. Their no. life is falling apart. Uh, it's yeah. the powerlessness part because in our profession, uh, you're not allowed to be powerless. You know, what do you mean I can't defeat this? What do you mean I can't take care of that? I can overcome anything. Uh, that's what I'm programmed to do. That's what I'm trained to do. And that was, I know for me personally, that was the big obstacle. This idea that I could not just through my sheer willpower overcome this issue in my life because I had, that had served me well in every other part of my life. And then you're telling me, but in this one area with alcohol, in my case, it was alcohol. You're telling me that I can't deal with this. Of course I can. But the fact is, I can't because it's not about physical strength. It's not about willpower. It's it, it's in the deep, deep recesses of the brain and of my own my own will alone. It's nearly impossible to defeat that. It is because your brain's telling you your brain to do something, and you don't really have a choice over that when it's happening. And again, all we need to start looking at because, like you said, you know, people people are suffering, and there's only people like yourself, Michael, who's been through it. Was highly educated, been on the front line with the FBI. Can, can, can somebody trust and come to you and go, hey, Michael, I'm going through this. This is what we need. More people like me and you out there because you can't teach this stuff 
from textbooks. It no. doesn't work. Nope. You have to have gone through it. So when I look at my spiritual awakening with God, and there's 27,000 God's guy, just pick one. That's what my sponsor used to say to me. You know, my, my journey got amazing, but education of disease, uh, of body, of, of self, is very, very important in uh, the addiction world. Because if you don't know what you're suffering from and you're under some illusion, that's just the alcohol. If I could just stop drinking, everything would be okay. Well, we tried it on several occasions, and it wasn't okay. So we, we really need to look at this and, and delve deeper into this, which I kind of did with police officers for my monthly talk at, uh, at the PTSD group. Uh, it's fascinating once you get into it of how, how much trauma the brain will hold in and how much joy and good times it kind of lets go of. And every single time something comes up, something happens, a reminder, I don't like the word triggers, but let's say trigger, then, then, then flashbacks come. And then flashbacks for a second or an hour have the potential, Michael, to kill us. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. And we really need to understand how oh, powerful yeah. trauma is. Absolutely. So when we talk about the lack of success rate in many, many of the programs, and not all, and I, I do want to clarify that, and you you touched on this as well, that there are some phenomenal programs that are out there. There really are. But a lot of them are just not successful because they're not using the right methods. Just in an overview, what would you say is the reason for that? Why is there such a low success rate? What are we not doing out there, or people are not doing out there that they should be, in your opinion, to get that success rate up? Well, uh, treatment centers are businesses, and if they don't have repeat customers, they're going to go broke. That's the bottom line. There's no money in recovery. Now, if, if the pharmaceutical companies can't give you a pill, or they can't stick you in somewhere for $30,000 a month, then nobody really wants to know you, and, and that's, just, that's just the industry we're in. And then you've got all the cowboys that have given us a bad name, the sober houses, and, and then the treatment centers, and it's just gone, you know, it's just what it is. Oh, just go and try treatment. You know, 95% of treatment does not work. You know, we're the only company in the world that offer money-back guarantee. If you relapse while following our program, in 20 years' time, we'll refund your money. No one else does that, you know, because they're teaching old stuff. They're concentrating on the alcohol. They're letting untrained techs deal with people every day. Now, if I stand next to you, Michael, for the next week, never mind 30 days, the next week, and I told you something about alcoholism, that the fairies came down and it gave it to you and you can pass it to somebody else to get rid of it. If I told you that for a week, you are going to believe it. So when treatment centers are talking about relapse prevention, there's the key word relapse. And when people are saying relapse is part of the disease, you know, it's not part of the solution. And, and, and people are telling us, you know, hey, listen, guys, there's 50 people in this room you know, 40 of you will be drunk in a, in a short time. You, you can't tell the alcoholic brain that because that's what it will concentrate on disaster, self-sabotage. Well, they said that 40 of us will, I'm just going to do it. And of course, I'm not in the wrong because they said, and that's what we find. There's no such thing as relapse. Alcohol is done from day one when you come here. It's got nothing to do, hardly anyway, with alcoholism. And this is what we need to look at. But there's no one being trained for that. There's nobody really understands the disease apart from a couple of hundred thousand of us out there who have been through it, like yourself, Michael, and been educated and researched and did their own trials and tests. It's like we did a test once. Nobody's done, I don't think anybody's done this anyway, but we did a test 20 years ago, not, not a couple of months ago, 20 years ago, we did this test where we got a bunch of people who was trying to stay sober. 
and we ask them to monitor uh, their reactions should they relapse and monitor how they were feeling and write it down. So many of them relapse. So they would go, they would relapse, they would get in the car, they'd go drive 20 miles to the drug dealer or the liquor store, they'd get their fix, they'd come out, they'd drink and use and then drive back home. The most intoxicated part of that whole scenario was the drive to the dealer, mm. not the taking of the drug. So when we look at the mind brain sparked up just by photographs of a bag of cocaine or a bottle of vodka, the brain lights up, then we need to look at what's lighting it up. Why are we self-sabotaging as quick as we can um, and, and, and what's the best way around it? And the only way around it is to create new neural pathways. There are billions in their head for self-care, for success. And I can take anybody in the world with alcoholism or not and turn them into a winner, to somebody who will succeed in their life, period. That's what we do. And anybody can do this. I'm living proof. From the streets to where I am is virtually impossible. Well, if you know what you do in the education and doing your research properly, it's a walk in the park. How else can I offer a money-back guarantee with such a large success rate if, if that wasn't the case? But people want to complicate it and add certain stuff in. You know, it's not needed. Well, you just threw something in, and there's an old saying, and that is that this is a uh, simple program for complicated <laughs> people. And I, I often talk to patients now when they, they come to me, and I tell them, look, if you just – Follow certain things and just trust me for a while because I, I've done this. And my sobriety was not easy. I, I was one of those people that took a long, long time to get it. But when I finally got it, I got, it sounds like you're the same way. It was like, oh, I got it. Okay, I understand you know how this works. And then when I go and I talk to people that are struggling and I say, all right, this is the path that I followed. I would recommend that you at least give this a shot. And people, well, you know, uh, here's what's here's what I like to do, and this is what I want to do. And you're like, okay, well, that, but that's why you're here talking to me. If it, if what you were doing was working so well, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. And so it is difficult to get people to just trust the process, trust what you're saying, because um, I think. Part of this, and, and maybe get you your your thoughts on this. I think part of the problem is in society, and this has been one of my driving focuses in this podcast and the work that I do now, is the stigma associated with this. The recovery, recovery, and particularly recovery programs, are, are something that the people, everybody it seems in the country, has an opinion on. Not just an opinion on, but a very strong opinion on. But so people, so many people understand so little about recovery and addiction, but yet they have very, very strong opinions on it. When really recovery is not that difficult if you do certain things and you do them consistently, <coughs> repeatedly, and do it over and over and over, and you will have success. And it sounds to me, and I don't I don't mean to speak for you, but it sounds to me that's kind of what you're talking about. There are certain things that you do, like people that are in long-term <coughs> recovery tend to do the same certain things over and over and over, and don't stop doing those things. Is that, is that a, an accurate assessment, would you say? It's perfect, yeah, exactly. So the basal ganglia, which is the repetition, strength, and confirms over and over and over again, is damaged with trauma. So when we find alcohol, if we're born into an alcoholic family, that's where it starts. The whole relapse and self-sabotage is that basal ganglia going around. You need to chink into that, and you need to break that cycle and redirect them your pathways, otherwise you're always. But it's not really that hard once you know what you're doing and you keep it simple i mean i'm a 12-step guy keep keep it simple do these follow these rules and 
I think a lot of power is while it is <clears throat> we tell them when they come in for the most of our work is uh, virtual now. Most of our work is telehealth. But when you're telling someone every day from day one, they're going to be amazing. They're going to be fantastic. They're going to be the best in the world ever. And they keep hearing that two or three times off my staff during the day, then you will become that person. What you can visualize in your head, you can hold in your hand. So many times I've proven that. And that's what we do. You know, if, if you hang around nine depressed people, you will become the 10th. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. So these daily, you know, things we're hearing around us, like, oh, you can't do that. You can't go to college, Rob, like your brother. You're not clever enough. That is the most damaging line I have ever heard. So what we need to look at as children is anything less than nurturing as a child is child abuse. And once we look at it that way, we realize why so many people damaged in later life. But it's the belief. We don't call it a mental illness. We call it a mental injury. Mm-hmm. We believe that you can get over it. The belief that you can be successful. There's no difference between you sat at home now listening to this and the guy around the corner as a CEO of that multi-million dollar company. No difference at all. The only difference is that he believed he can do it and you might not yet. But let me tell you categorically that you can. You can literally write your own life and script. Well, me and my, my wife, we got married six years ago. We got married. We had an argument about three days in, four days in after the marriage. And, uh, you know, we're arguing. And she said, well, that's the way. I, don't, I said, I don't like this. So, well, that's the way marriage is supposed to be. And we looked at each other. And I said, says who? Who's making these rules up? We dance in the bathroom every morning. We throw stuff at each other. We're laughing. We're, you know, make your own destiny up. Visualize it and take it. Quantum physics tells us, let's say a basketball court, for instance. We can be on the basketball 25 places at the same time. We can be on that court in 25 places at the same time. That's a quantum physics. What happens is I want to be near the goal. So when I get the ball, I'm going to bang it in the net and be the hero of the game. So the question begs to be asked, how do I get there? Okay, you walk over and take the position. What? Yeah, you don't beg for it. You know, you walk over and you take that position because you visualize that. And that's what people are missing out, the law of attraction. The fact that you can get over alcoholism and addiction, depression, anything that you want, you can get over with certain, obviously, you can't get over cancer by thinking. Um, well, not I'm aware of. But you can change the way you live, the way you eat, the way you feel. You can attract different girls, guys. You can buy a big house, drive a car, get that job. You can do anything you want. But we're fearful of doing it, especially alcoholics, because go, well, I, I, I'm not really good enough to, to do that. I'm not to, Says who? If you've got a thought pattern that says, I'm not good enough, I'll never amount to anything, I want to apologize to you because somebody's put that there. We are all born with million-dollar minds. Stop hanging around 10-cent minds because you'll go down to that level. Start realizing who the hell you are because that's the, that's the only difference. When I found out who I really was, Michael, my life took off, and so was most of my patients. When you realize how powerful you can actually be and that everybody's watching you, do great things, smile, you know, pick something up, help somebody out the door, give somebody $2, whatever it may be. Someone has witnessed that act and you've changed that life. And that, that's the way to live, I think, today. It is. And then to be that example to other people. And I think that's one of the strongest things in, in recovery. And, if, and again, if you're listening to this podcast and you're moving into recovery circles, you're going to 12-step meetings, look around the room. Look around the room and see who the winners are. Who are the people that have long-term sobriety? But more importantly, more importantly, who is sober and happy and content and enjoying life? 
Those are the people that you want to follow. And I love this. Uh, I just wrote down two quotes that you had. Uh, we all, we're all born with million-dollar minds and stop hanging around 10-cent people. And when you're in the – I love that. I love that. I, look, you, you go into the meetings and you see – who has success, and who's living life to the fullest. I did not come into recovery, and Dr. Rob, I'm sure you did not come into recovery to be miserable. I like to have a good time. You sound like you like to have a good time. Uh, Folks, I can tell you this. If the last 10 years of my life had sucked, I wouldn't still be here doing this. Life got better. Life cannot not get better when you stop putting poisons into your body. It cannot not get, it won't be perfect because it's life. If you're going to engage with other human beings, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have problems. Problems don't go away, but a lot of your problems go away because if you think about it, if you're drinking or drugging, uh, if you're drinking alcoholically right now or you're drugging, probably a good percentage, maybe a percent of your problems right now are directly related to your use. Mm. So you do away with the use, then then you're left with, you know, 10, 20% of the rest of the things, and then you're able to deal with those better. Trust me. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I mean, I've I've played Abbey Road with all the famous guys. You know, I remember being in Elton John's uh, suite with a bunch of musicians and thinking, does life get any better than this? It has to for me. You see, my sober life has to be a billion times better than that. Otherwise, I'm going back drinking and using. Why wouldn't I? I'm a selfish person? So it has to be absolutely beyond my wildest dreams. And once you get in that frame of mind, nothing can stop you. There's literally nothing that can stop you. You know, and, and give back. If you walk into a room with, let's say, 10 people with a frown, most people are going to frown back. If you walk in the same people, same room with a smile on your face, all of those people will smile back. This is how you build a life around you. It's energy. It's yeah. I do not have bad days, Michael. Now, again, picking up what you said, I have better days than others. Of course I do. But how can I have a bad day? I used to be homeless, for goodness sake living on the streets for over a year, begging, eating out of garbage truck, sleeping on benches in the parks and stuff like that. How can I have a bad day? So it comes down to frame of mind. What am I grateful for today? How can I give back to somebody and make somebody's day today? And once you start doing that, alcoholism and the bad times will just disappear as you find this new life. But belief, guys, belief is, is, is what it's all about. Don't, don't think you may do it. Well, I'm thinking to do it. No, no, no. Stop it. Do it. No, I'm thinking of it. No, do it. And you'll be surprised. I'm telling you, the alcoholic brain, once clear of alcohol, is the, is the most fascinating and most powerful brain. You see the guys that have, one of, have the alcoholic brain or the addiction brain and don't drink? They're the guys running Google. They're the guys running Amazon. They're the guys. That's, that's the kind of brain you have if you're sat at home and you have an alcoholic drug problem. So clear it up. Get your stuff together. There's millions of people out there dying while you're sat at home thinking, should I, shouldn't I? Because you're listening to this podcast right now for the reason I'm telling you are. And either God or Supreme Being or whatever wants to change your life today. Stop putting breaks on your imagination, please. Mm -hmm. Now, this discussion about God and a higher power, I have found in the work that I do that for many people... Many people, and it's funny, I was just talking to somebody last night about this. You know, we're drinking and drugging ourselves to death, and then you come into a recovery center, and you sit down in your first session, and the first thing is is you have this big uh, aversion to God. 
And, and mm. you now, uh, I don't believe in God. I'm an agnostic. I'm a this, that, and the other thing. Now in recovery, we don't tell anybody what they need to believe. But it always seems yeah. like, you know, people walk into the center, and the first thing I have to deal with is, uh, oh, you're going to try to sell me on God, and I'm not going to have none of that. And I, and I always thought to myself, uh, and, and like I said, I, just, I was discussing this, discussing this with a, a counselor last night, that it's amazing how people are drinking and drugging themselves to death, uh, you know, they, they were in the emergency room yesterday. Now we come in here and all of a sudden the biggest issue in their life is this idea of you're not going to sell me on God or a higher power. And it, it's amazing how, wait a minute, you were just in the hospital on the brink of death. And now today, this is your biggest issue. Drinking is not your biggest issue. This this right. idea of a higher power. Uh, <laughs> but it sounds to me, Dr. Rob, like maybe you've resolved that in your mind. Can you address that a little bit? You know, what's that all about? Yeah. What's the fight and how do we overcome that? Well, the fight at the end of the day is that's the only thing we have is a non-belief. That's the only power that I can have right now is to argue with you about this. But let me tell you categorically, guys, listen out there, that God is circumstantial. And let me tell you how or explain. I'm coming back from England, back to Dallas some years ago, and the weather was absolutely terrible, absolutely terrible. And we're flying, at, I don't know, 30,000 feet. The captain comes over, keep your seatbelt on. We're going to go through some rough, uh, you know, five or ten minutes. About two or three minutes later, <clears throat> the plane dropped what, what seemed like a couple of thousand feet. Everybody on that plane grasped over the side of the chair. Everybody took a breath in. <sighs> and you could hear a pin drop on that plane. And my friend next to me leant over and he said, hey, Rob, that there's not many atheists on this plane right now. <laughs> and it's so true. <clears throat> when it gets bad enough, you'll believe, you know. Well, I, I just, listen. I got, I got molested by the priest at my place, my, my small school. You know, I've, I've been, I've been uh, abused by a lot of people in power when it comes to the church. But the bottom line is, choose your own conception. You know, it can't be a door handle. It can't be a light. It can't be the group. No human power can help me, by the way. But it has to be a God, 27,000. Just pick one. But pick a God. It's something that's power than you. If, you. if you're a big fan of the big book, count how many capital P's there are in that book. I'll tell you. There's 352. So I've never seen a chronic alcoholic who's an atheist still alive today. I just haven't done it. I don't, I don't know. There probably may be. I don't know. I've never seen one because you can't do this on your own. You definitely need a higher power because what happens, Michael, and this is an interesting point that we worked on for many years. When we have the psychic change, the change of mind, and a spiritual awakening, my DNA changes. Mm. Why is that important? Because that big book says the same man will drink Again, true. So my DNA changes very slightly. I'm not the same person once I go through that uh, situation or get help with the treatment center or counselor than I was when I started. And that's the power of choice back again. I get to choose today what I do. I get to choose how I do it. And I get to choose whom I do it. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Wow, that's very powerful. Very powerful. Well, before we close out, um, could we do this? Because... The people that are listening to you, particularly those that uh, are not familiar with you in, in your work, you and I are people that our lives demonstrate the very things that you're talking about. I mean, I can read the metadata. I can read all of the research. I can do all these different things, and that's great. It's one thing to read about it, but you and I have lived this. Everything that you're talking about, I've lived through, you have lived through. So could you give our audience maybe just a kind of a brief run-through in – you know, your life, where this disease took you, 
and then how you got out of it and how you got to be where you are today. Um, could, would you mind taking a few moments to just kind of run through that? Not where did this take you, the depths that it took you to? Oh, I, homelessness. I'd, I'd lost everything. But before the homelessness came, I took my first drink at nine on a, on a stage with my musical family. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to the end, I, I stabbed my wife one night, cause, three times, because she won't let me finish alcohol. I punched her in the face. I fell on the babies. I left them in cinemas while I, I drove five miles to the nearest liquor store, ages one and three. Just got back. The police were there. You know, it was just absolutely crazy stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, homelessness was was the worst thing that ever happened. That's what he took me to, the beats. See, when I first went on, I was pretty street streetwise and I could fight uh, early boxer and, and, and martial arts guy and I was a bodybuilder, so I was pretty good. But after six months on the street, when you're not eating, your weight starts to drop and then I started getting beaten myself. So it was a survival instinct every day. That's where it took me. Nobody would talk to me. My youngest daughter, I still not seen. She will not contact me. I've tried many times. I still live in hope. But, <clears throat> you know, you do the right thing, guys. With, with conviction and power and belief, things start to happen. So four years ago, we're in bed, me and my wife, and we get a message on Facebook. Ding! I'm like, oh, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning. Who's this? Grabbed on the phone. I turned it towards me. I'm squinting. Middle of the night, I need my glasses. Put my glasses on. It's my oldest daughter. And she messaged me and said, Dad, I've seen you on TV. I've seen what you do. I want to see you. I've got a surprise for you. So we flew over there. And... We were all both nervous. I was so nervous after all this time not seeing her. She's an adult now. And she opened the door and we hugged and we cried like crazy. And then she says, Dad, come in. And she called me Dad, Michael. And I've not heard that for so many years, 20 years. And uh, she walked me into the living room and she handed me my three-month-old granddaughter. Oh, wow. So <clears throat> no matter how far down the scale we go, no matter how bad we think we are, <clears throat> You've got to think this, guys. Now, if you don't take anything from this podcast, take this from it, please. When I was on the streets and all the losses of, of everything, wife, medical license, kids, houses, cars, business, all, all that loss completely, you know, gone and finished. I never thought that I would ever be anybody. I never thought that I could come back after that. But what you'll find when you do, because you will, you'll find that your bad times are not only your greatest asset going forward, but they are actually a semester at Harvard. They're like a semester at Harvard because we're all meant to help each other and love each other and be kind to each other. So when, you're, when you go back to your job, alcoholic or not, and you're working away and you're doing well, you're gonna, someone's going to be put in front of you one day who's just about to go homeless and you can sit down and tell them your story and help them. But don't think... This is your lot. Do not think it's not. I can't scream that loud enough. It's not. Nothing is permanent. Nothing is forever. You're going through this. If you're sat at home with one parent, family, and mom, you know, in, in a one-bedroom apartment, and the council's paying, and the government's paying, and you've got food stamp, this is not your lot. Change your life. God wants something better for you. I, I'm telling you now, and you may laugh and say, it's okay for you, doctor. I'll look at you, look at you. I'm telling you, the only reason why I'm alive today and the only reason why I do this is, one, to educate those people with alcoholism and PTSD, to lecture to those people, to do seminars with these people, and to help the people on the ground. Because I want you to be as successful as me. I don't want you just to get sober. Like Michael said and me, getting sober, is, that's, what, that's a given. That's day one stuff. Let's build your life mm -hmm. so that not only you can be proud, but your family can be proud, your children, your mom and dad whoever it be, can be proud because that is living, going day to day, 
saying, we're just one day at a time. I've not drank today. That is not recovery. That's hell on earth. You have to remember that. Mm -hmm. And if you are having the seeds planted in your mind, and if you're listening to this podcast, then the seeds are being planted. There's a reason for that. And someone in the universe is saying to you, you can do this, you can do this, and I want you to do this. In fact, uh, just one final thing, I know from hearing your story before that you talked about being uh, on the bus stop, my understanding is that the final message came to you actually at a bus stop, right? You met someone. Yeah. Just real quickly, because that was one of those moments where you just met a complete stranger, and that was the beginning of the end of your drinking. Well, that was the bus stop when I was at. I actually got off on the bus stop crying and walked around the corner, fell to my hands and knees and uh, looked up to the sky and said, if there's God up there, I can't do this on my own anymore. Then the guy walked around the corner that changed my life. So <clears throat> all you need is, is the desperation uh, or the conviction that everybody has this power inside them to reach out for help and everybody has their niche in life. But more than that, here's the deal, guys. So... Again, people look at me. Last show went out to 18 million people I did on TV. It's like, you know, again, look it in, look it in. It's all right for him. Well, look, guys, my feet are always in the trenches. I, I answer the phone around here. People think I'm crazy. I answer the phones. I talk to people. So here's the deal. If you need my help, great. But we're not talking about that. If you're in a situation where you need a five to ten minute pep talk free of charge, you call me. Now, don't call me right now if, you, if your life's amazing or everything's going great and you just want to see more about me. Go on the website, robkelly.com. Find out. I spell my name with two Bs, robkelly.com. But if you're sat at home in desperation and you don't know which way to turn, I'm going to give you a 10-minute pep talk that will change your life. Believe it. So I'm going to give you, live on air, I'm going to give you my personal cell phone number for all you guys out there who are suffering. 214 now, obviously, I'm a busy man. Text me first. I will text you back when I'm free. And let's have that five, 10-minute pep talk. And if I don't change your life, I'll send you $5,000 in the mail next day. I guarantee that. Well, guys, so this is Rob Kelly, and that's uh, two Bs, R-O-B-B, Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y. And uh, he's from the Rob Kelly Recovery Group. And the Website is robkelly.com. And uh, you got his cell phone number there, 214-600-0210. That's 214-600-0210. You know, I really, really appreciated you coming on onto the show today and talking to us. Really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Of course. I mean, obviously, as soon as I did some research, because my girl, Courtney, the media girl, she calls me up and she says, hey, Dr. Rob, you got to do this. And I'm like, she said, just look this guy up. And I looked you up and I'm like, oh my goodness, this, this guy's the real deal. So I was really <laughs> looking forward to it. And it's just awesome. Thank you for having me on. If uh, if I can be of assistance or anything you want, you you call Courtney and we'll be in touch. I will. And, and I, do you tell Courtney I appreciate that? Because, you know, I tell my wife every day, you know, uh, Lily, I'm pretty awesome. And then she looks at me and she <laughs> says, no, you're not. Just go in there. Have you looked in the mirror lately? You're not awesome at all. I need to humble. She said, God has given me to you to keep you humble. Yes. And uh, that's true. That's, hum- humility is the way to go, but I, I do appreciate that. And, and you're awesome because I, I, I really have appreciate this, and I appreciate all that you're doing and, and all the work that you're doing for all the people that are out there. And 
Thank you so much. So, as always, I'd like to say, I don't represent any group. I know we're we're, uh, talking about different programs here, but guys, I don't represent any of these groups. I just, you know, I'm aware of them and participate in some of them, but I don't represent them. I, you know, I don't represent anyone other than myself. And my only purpose, and Rob's purpose, in giving all this information that we share with you is... um, to help you. And, and it's helped me. And so maybe it will help you as well. So if I've said something that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with, that's okay. Then just discard it. But try to take any information that you can use for yourself and try to use that to help others as well. Because that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way and we help to impart whatever knowledge we have gained to others as well. And so with that, please visit me at my Facebook page, which is called Recovery is Possible, and our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. Let me know how I'm doing and let me know if there's a topic that you'd like to hear about because I love hearing from you guys and so you take care and we will see you next time thanks